Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. This episode is sponsored by MindBodyGreen Classes and Trainings, where you can learn from world-class experts from the comfort of your own home. The MindBodyGreen Class Library has educational programs you can't find anywhere else. From yoga and meditation to nutrition and personal growth, our classes have something for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a wellness warrior, MindBodyGreen Classes will take you further on your wellness journey. You can find our classes at mindbodygreen.com classes. That's mindbodygreen.com slash classes. Enter the promo code podcast on checkout to receive 15% off your next purchase. Catherine Budig is an internationally celebrated yoga teacher and author known for her accessibility, humor, and ability to empower her students through her message, Aim True. She is a warrior for self-acceptance, honesty, and helping her students and readers find true balance. In addition to all of that, Catherine is a dear friend and has been part of the MBG family since its very early days. Hey, it's Jason Wachab coming to you from Mind Body Green Brooklyn headquarters for the Mind Body Green podcast. And we've got the amazing Catherine Budig here today, Hi, Jason. who's also one of our neighbors now. It's true. It took me five minutes to get here and on foot. I love it. And, and it's so great. Catherine was one of our first contributors at Mind Body Green back in 2010 and someone who we love, a near and dear friend. So it's so great to have you here. That's awesome to be here. So going back to your childhood. So, so talk to me a little bit. You moved around a lot, like Kansas, New Jersey, UVA, and like talk to me about that. You know my story so well. That's impressive. I do. We all were. we're yeah, we, we do. We, we go we way back. We know each other. Yes. We go back. Back when the flip camera was a thing. Back that's how when far there was back no, we go. It was a flip cam, and there was no editing. That's how we did <laughs> my buddy Green video. It was one take. And I that thought was it was it. pretty fancy. I thought we were doing amazing. Well, we knew things. you were talented. You made the, you made the one take happen. <laughs> Magic. Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, and uh, it was amazing. My, my father was the chancellor of the university there, which yeah. is why we were there. So I grew up in this big, beautiful house that belonged to the university and just lush, amazing outdoor space all around us. I know lush in Kansas might not seem synonymous, but still, it seemed lush to me. And it was fantastic. I, I got to spend all this time outside in the wilderness, playing make-believe, and it was a really lovely childhood that I think maybe in this day and age would be hard to duplicate. And we moved to Princeton, New Jersey after that, when my father became the president of the American League of Baseball. So for sports fans, that was... Your dad is a huge sports sports fan. Yeah, my my dad's a cool dude. He's He's an impressive fellow. Gene. Gene Budig, the cutest guy ever. He is. You just want to hug him. I know. He's so sweet. He's sort of like a a Caucasian version of the Dalai Lama. (laughs) I am going to call him as soon as this is over (laughs) and tell him that. I did an event actually locally in Charleston, and he was there. I was at the the baseball field, the minor league team. And I swear to you, he probably went up and shook everyone's hand and was like, Hi, I'm Gene Budig. This is my daughter's event. He does do that. It's so cute. People are like, your dad's amazing. So um, I clearly have really, my mom is equally as amazing. I have phenomenal parents. Uh, I went to school in Virginia at UVA. So UVA, and talk to me, when do you start 
to get interested in yoga. In yoga. My first memories of yoga were in college. And I remember actually being irritated because I would flip through my magazines and I would read about all the starlets and how do you stay in such great shape? And they'd be like, oh, yoga. And I remember thinking, should I be careful with my language on this? No, this isn't. I, I remember, this, is, this is not the Today Show. You just Say whatever sure. you want here. I just I remember Fucking thinking it's total yoga. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, there's no way you just do yoga and you look like that. Right. And this was before yoga was, it was probably just burgeoning on being this popular. time frame where we like 2000. I remember, this is when Helen Hunt three. was a really big deal, if that helps a so little the, bit. Because so I remember <laughs> reading articles about Helen Hunt. And she was like, I do a ton of yoga. I'm like, do you? Uh, <laughs> And then Cindy Lee from Om Yoga, she had put out this deck of yoga cards with her cute little kind of stick figures that she does. And that was my first yoga purchase. So I had Cindy Lee's deck of cards, which I've told her since, and we just laugh over that. And so I would sometimes do yoga with these decks. And then... You know, I've always been... So you're in your dorm room, like, you know, playing around with yoga right, cards. Right, people are playing are... poker, and I'm all, like, shuffling the yoga poses <laughs> out. And then I eventually started taking classes at the local uh, aquatic fitness center. Okay. And this was the kind of thing, like, buy five classes, and you could kickboxing, yoga, etc. Right. My memory of that was that the mat was really slippery. And... <laughs> I didn't know if I just had excessively sweaty palms, but when I would get on the yoga mat, I couldn't hold anything because my hands would slip. And I think it was just really, really cheap yoga mats was the problem. But I took it really seriously. So I, <laughs> so I started bringing baby powder with me to class. Yeah. And I basically chalk up like a gymnast before. <laughs> it was kind of mortifying in retrospect. And then eventually I had a dance friend of mine take me to a proper Ashtanga class in downtown Charlottesville. And that's where I really, really fell in love. You and it was a shanga, and I didn't know. Well, pretty serious, too. Like, yeah, it wasn't uh, Mysore. It wasn't really strict. The teacher, Jennifer Elliott, just this beautiful, amazing specimen of a human. And she was so fantastic because she would teach a shanga, but then she would basically break everything down for you. So she had this great creative way. And I don't even know what the class was titled. Maybe it was like basics for a shanga or something like that but I wasn't doing full-blown Mysore or full-blown primary series. And I just adored it. And so that's where I got hooked. And by the time I graduated, I was acting and I wanted to try Los Angeles out. And I was also told that that was a Mecca for yoga. And I thought that if I became a yoga teacher, that would be a way to pay the bills. So yeah. Jennifer said, you have to go to Yoga Works. You have to find Mati Azradi. So you show up Yoga Works, the famous Main Street, Santa Monica. Yeah, little do I know I'm walking into, you know, the, the Juilliard of yoga, basically. Right. And Chuck and Mati just so happened to be leading their very last teacher training as I got there. Oh, wow. So I drove cross country. I got there the next day I started my training and it was, I, I, and I love them. Then, you know, I love you, but it was awful the first day because <laughs> Chuck spoke 90% Sanskrit because it was theory. Friday nights were theory. And I just remember leaving being like, right. whoa, 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 whoa. What did I get into? And the next day was asana and Mati led it. And I have never sweat so hard or worked so hard in my entire life. She didn't, and this is not like nothing fancy. She was just amazing and detailed and strict. And I had people adjust me, you know, 30 times to which I interpreted I'm doing this incorrectly. So my ego was bruised. I was overwhelmed. I'm like, they don't even speak English here. 
but by the end of the day, I, I hit that high that you get. I'm like, this is amazing. So it was the beginning of a really rocky journey that was just exquisite. And by the end, I was madly in love with yoga. Learning from them and being in Los Angeles at that studio at that time, when that was truly one of the top studios in the world, mm-hmm. I just was so lucky that that was my introduction to yoga because that's not an average sure. introduction to what yoga is like. So you start teaching shortly afterward? I yoga? did. I finished my teacher training and Mati was like, yeah, you're going to go on the schedule. I mean, it wasn't a paid one. It was a student teacher kind of situation. And it was something god awful, like 8 p.m. on Saturday night. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not ready. She's like, mm, you, you do. And when Mati says, you do, you go. So I started doing that, and I would come in with my notebook at the beginning of every class with the entire sequence mapped out. And, you know, I started out with a couple students, and then I filled the room with 14 students. It was packed. Then you go to Vinny's class, and you're like, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> but um, I had so much fun with it, and then I got a Sunday night class, and oh, then wow. eventually, you know, you earn the better time slots, and I started teaching uh, you know, beginners and one twos, and then eventually added some two threes and tried to keep a nice blend of levels just because I think that's important for teachers. You yeah. can't teach just one style or, or level, rather. And so, who were some of your, you know, you mentioned uh, Mati, like who were some other people like really influential like, around this time? Yeah. Yeah. So, Chuck and Mati are, you know, the top of the family tree. And then Annie Carpenter yep. was a huge influence in my practice. She's a phenomenal human and teacher. Uh, I did take a lot of Vinnie Marino. Yeah. He, he's just a lovely... Well, can you explain for people like what he does? It's so, it's so what unique is the and Vinnie special Marino phenomenon? Like, experience. He, yeah, he is kind of the rock star teacher in Los Angeles. And Vinnie was truly one of the first people to incorporate rock and roll into yeah. a yoga class. And... Maybe tell his story a little bit for people who don't know it briefly. So you take a, you, the Vinny Marino experience. You, you go into a room that will uncomfortably fit 85 people. And when I say yeah. uncomfortably, this is yeah. mat, mat to mat to mat. To mat which you can imagine is going to create quite a level of body heat. Half of them are like actors. Yeah, you've got like David <laughs> Duchovny to your left, you know, Chelsea Handler to your right. Uh, star-studded, everyone's beautiful and right. glistening. And Do you ever want to feel bad about your yoga like practice Like mala beaded right. down, <laughs> and you're just like, ah, you have more worth on your wrist than I have in my house. Uh, so it's very Hollywood, it's very LA, and then you get going, and it is just the hardest class you've ever taken. Right. And he's not teaching anything that is actually that difficult. A, it's because it's so crowded. Yes. But then you get into the, the Surya Namaskara Bs, your sun salutations, and that's when he'll like, you know, be like, all right, three more on your own, and he just cranks Zeppelin or something yeah. like that. And, and it's magical. And then he uses kind of ambient style music throughout the rest of the class, and then you get to hip openers, and then there'll be some really moving song that he'll play and you hold for five minutes. And he just, he was one of the first people to do that. I know it's so common now right. that it may but not seem like special. It was like an experience. It's, it is an experience. And right. I still don't think there's anyone like Vinny. Right. He's a very unique human. And he's just this, he's a New Yorker. He's moody. Like if he's in a bad addict, mood. Like the, you know, he's an ex-addict. Gray yeah. Slick, Jefferson, like the whole thing. Like he, he is like the epitome of like rock and roll. He and, really is. Yeah. And he, he's not afraid to, to 
hide his mood. I mean, he will call people out in class. If you don't show up with a towel, he'll be like, you're an idiot. What are you doing in here without a towel? And there's like, my friend brought me. And then he'll start yelling at the friend, why'd you do this to your friend? So you start, so, you know, you you start becoming, you start building your name, your class starts to get more and more popular. And I think quickly you, you, you know, rise, uh, I would say like, like one of the most well-known teachers, not only in like LA, but like the US, like this is happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk to me a little bit. What is that like? in the west side of LA, like the the yoga, you know, capital of the world. And you're becoming this, you know, and this is early social media and like yoga is starting to really explode. And like, there you are like, oh my God, like you're becoming like probably the biggest name in like the west side of LA. It's like cat, like, you know, you walk down Abikini and people are probably like, that's Catherine. (laughs) That's funny that you think that. I actually never felt that way when I was there because to me, the biggest names in yoga and this is for my generation, you know, Sean Korn, sure. Shiva Ray, Baron Baptiste, Brian Kest, um, you know, those are the, the heavy hitters. And they will forever be, in my mind, the true pioneers sure. of this Western yoga that we do. And I, I do have memories of people being like, you're going to be the next Sean Korn. You're going to be. And to me, I was like, that's a compliment. Oh, my gosh. But at the same time, I'm like, that's blasphemy. You can't say that. You're not as serious as her. <laughs> oh, God, I love Sean. She's, she's very um, serious. She's she, phenomenal. She's very there's an intensity. There's until, an intensity. Yes. Where you're, then, you're happy. But you're there's very... another side to her that is very funny and raucous. So I never felt, I never felt famous in L.A. I never felt like, oh, that's one of the biggest teachers. I actually, speaking of Sean... The, the first time that I ever got invited to teach at Kripalu Center, mm-hmm. which is a very beautiful, prestigious center. It's really, I would use different words to describe it. Uh, it <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is the first time, and I'm in my 20s. I don't know, I was maybe mid-20s. And I'm walking the hallways, the very stark hallways, and you know they've got quotes from all the teachers who oh have taught God. their It's like it, walking around like the Nike campus or something. It's or, like a museum, right, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like LeBron James <laughs> and Serena Williams. Uh, and I just remember having almost a panic attack. And I hadn't taught yet, and I went to my room and I emailed Sean. And I was just like, shit, 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 shit. Like, I don't belong here. This is a mistake. They're going to find out that I'm, you know, I felt like a fraud. I felt like a phony. And, and she wrote me back, and Sean's so great. She's like, okay, A, it's very good that you feel that way because that means that you're still humble and you're not becoming an asshole. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then she said, B, shut up. You deserve to be there. Right. You wouldn't be there if you didn't deserve it. Right. And so it's, I think also being a younger teacher, you know, I started teaching when I was 21, which again, wow. in this day and age is not unusual, but back when I started, it was a bit more sure. unusual. I always felt like I had to prove myself. You know, well, I don't think I, that ever goes away, but... Totally. I think we all feel that way. But I especially felt like here I am size four. Well, at the time I was probably a zero. I used to be much tinier than I am now. You know, blonde, long blonde hair. I was tan. I live in New York now and my skin's like almost pearlescent sheer. Um, (laughs) And I knew I fell into that, like very easy to judge me and be like, oh, that little blonde girl. Sure. She's got substance. I doubt it. And um, I really had to fight that for people thinking that, oh, this is the way you look, so I'm sure there's nothing going on there. And I worked very, very hard to prove that I was an excellent teacher. 
and that I trained with the right people and I put in the hours and I put in the time and the, the blood, sweat and tears and the passion. And I remember when I turned 30, just the sheer celebration. And I know for some people that might be a death of an era, but for me, I was like, yes, right. you know, people can't label me as though that 20 something anymore. Cause I constantly felt like I was the little one being like, Hey, you guys look at me too. Like, I want to be part of this. So it's, I, well, what was it like, you know, two things I want to go deeper on. So like, what's it like, you know, I think in LA, like you obviously left LA mm-hmm. and I know you love LA, but you left LA. Like what, what is it I was about? I thrilled to leave LA. What, yeah. What is it about like being in that, that bubble on the West side of it's LA? It's awful. It's awful. I mean, and the people who are still there, oh, God, I can't even imagine what it's like now. If it was awful when I was there, it must be 10 times worse now, I would imagine. It's just, um, you know this. I think that we think, oh, yogis, they've got it all together. They're so spiritual. They have this amazing practice. Like, yogis are assholes. <laughs> like, it's a really rough community, and they're nasty. And I'm not saying every yogi is nasty. I believe in yoga. I believe in the power of it. That's why I teach it. It is a phenomenal tool that will change people's lives. But unfortunately, like anything, when you take a practice that is meant to help you in your spiritual path, help you with your physical body, and then you turn it into a career it is very easy for it to go dark quickly because the second it turns into a career, then you have competitiveness. And, you know, competitiveness under the guise of kumbaya. So <laughs> my, my girlfriend has a really... Passive aggression. Exactly, thought, right? exactly. My, my girlfriend has this great take on it because she's in the sports world. And she's like, okay, in the sports world, if two people have beef with each other, it's the sports world that's meant to be competitive. Like, you get on the court and you duke it out. Like, it's very confrontational. But in the yoga world, if you don't like each other, it's very passive aggressive. And you'll write this nasty email to someone and then sign it in solidarity. (laughs) It's like, bullshit, you don't like me, just say you don't like me and let's work this out. But because we're yogis, we're supposed to keep up this guise of, you know, we're all spiritual beings on this path together. So that's where it gets sickening. And I'm all about spirituality, but just reality too. And I feel like a lot of that reality is getting lost in the wellness world and we're verging on becoming parodies of ourselves. And uh, that's why I had to get out of LA because it's just the West side of LA in that community that is the epicenter for the chaos. And it got catty and backstabbing and I just wanted nothing to do with it. So I ended up moving to the middle of nowhere, Florida for a while. (laughs) So before we get to that, you know, I, I always think of you too as, you know, an early feminist within mm-hmm. yoga, you know, going back to like talk the decision to like pose for Jasper mm-hmm. and take all your clothes off <laughs> and like, well, talk to me about that decision. And then leading up to, you know, you gave this phenomenal talk about at Revitalize. So I, talk uh, to me about like the moment you decided to take th- those photographs leading up to Revitalize and how your views on um, the, the body image yeah. arc. Well, Jasper Johal is a phenomenal photographer in Los Angeles who's photographed, it feels like every yogi now. And I had found his work and I just thought, wow, this work is stunning. And so I emailed him a bajillion times, called him, and finally he was like, come in, we can meet. And he did this series called The Body is Temple, which was black and white nudes of yogis and dancers. And I didn't want to shoot with him because I wanted to shoot in the nude. I just thought he had amazing photographs, but that was really his jam. So he was like, look, here's the deal. If you want to photograph for, 
for this series, I'm happy to also do some clothes, promotional photos for you. And I'll, you know, give those for you for, for free. And so lots of debating, like, do I want to do this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I finally said yes. And I had never shot in the nude before, except for, you know, like, like for ex-boyfriends and stuff like that. Um, and the first... Gene, Gene, are you listening? <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the first 15 minutes, it was awful. I mean, down dog was the hardest pose I had ever done because I was just so, you know, it's me and, and this guy and he's so lovely and he makes you very comfortable, but there's something very weird you have on this big robe and he's like, okay, let's go. And you're like, but no. Uh, and then two hours later, it was just the most liberating, empowering experience because it truly, and I call it a meat suit, my meat suit. It made me realize that's exactly what this is. This is just a physical casing on the outside of my body with bits that everyone is made of. We all have our own bits. And yet society throughout the years has told us to have shame around this and shame on you for showing that. You know, even actresses, shame on you for being naked in a movie and showing your body, which now I'm like, get it. Like if you're comfortable showing your body like that, great. I'm all about that. And I left that studio. And especially once I saw the photos, I was like, wow. Like, that's an amazing meat suit. Right. Look what it can do. That is an amazing meat that suit. That is an amazing meat suit. That's the pull quote. Um, and, and it just enabled me to feel comfortable in my own skin, which no matter what your body size is, what your background is, we all have a ticker tape of insecurity that's constant and ebb and flows depending on what phase we're going on in our life. And it was just it gave me some well-needed confidence. So then that turned into the Toe Socks campaign. Yep. And, and then there's this thing called the internet and social And then media. there's this thing called the internet, which it was very well received. <laughs> because, and, and then shit hit the fan and it wasn't well received and it had just as many haters as it had people so, who yeah, thought so like, it was how can artistic. You, where were like, where are some of the things people said? Like, how can they? Uh, that I was a sellout, that I was using my body to make a ton of money, which by the way, if you want to make a lot of money, you're not going to do it selling socks. Um, Especially yoga socks. <laughs> but it was definitely not Very where I'm like, oh, my billionaire story starts with socks. <laughs> um, yeah, just a lot of people who clearly were not comfortable with nudity, uh, that they were tired of seeing my ass, that I was objectifying women, you know, everything that is the antithesis of what I believe in. But I also found that if I would ever take the time to actually connect with these people, they were wounded. These were wounded people with very specific stories. And if I took the time to actually talk to them, the conversation would normally end with, I'm so sorry I judged you. And Well, how this weigh on your psyche? Awful. You know, in terms of, you're right. It you, was the, you talk about this revitalized. Well, because this was the, the beginning um, like you said, social media, I think that was just Facebook at yeah, the time. Yeah, I think there was Instagram. Yeah. No, was this just was just Facebook. Facebook and even Facebook I was newer to. And so this whole concept of sharing an image and having people say whatever they want about you right. was still very bizarre. Yeah. And I'm very sensitive to, to energy. And when you have a large energetic group of people who exist, who are sending hatred towards you, it is exhausting. And I it turned into vertigo for me. Right, and I so, that. Uh, it was the combination of that, because that was my first experience with that kind of public onslaught with some other stuff going on in my life, and I ended up with all this vertigo, 
didn't know what was going on, went, spent thousands of dollars going to all these different Western and Eastern doctors, lost a ton of weight because they put me on these pills, thought there was something to do with my ear. And I just, I was the skinniest I've ever been and was miserable and shaky. And, and then turns out after I did acupuncture that it was anxiety. And she treated me for anxiety and I basically slept for 48 hours after that treatment wow. and found that, okay, I'm having, it was virtually like a five month right. anxiety, not panic attack, obviously, but just, I couldn't handle it. And so it taught me a lot. And that was the catalyst for finding Artemis. And, and I started praying to her because I found this prayer and I was just praying for stability and I was praying for support. And I was like, I feel horrible, which opened the, the next chapter right. of my life. But um, yeah, and then I gave the talk for you at Revitalize because, I mean, that was just, you know, the tip of the iceberg with being bullied. And, and yes, I, I know, like, I have a privileged body. I, I would definitely define myself as having a privileged body. Right. Uh, but it's a privileged also, meat suit. I have a privileged meat suit. <laughs> and I understand that. But it doesn't take away the pain that I felt in my experiences. And it's a very hard thing to explain to people if you're not in an upper echelon of the health world, right. but how people treat you and what they expect of you. And um, how many times I was fat shamed even when I wasn't fat. Which is insane. And told that I had a tire around my waist and compared. And it, it's just, there's this, this really, I would be so happy if I never have to pose in a sports bra again for the rest of my life. Like the pressure that I put on myself so like, what am I, because I have sponsorships and some right. of them are clothing sponsorships and they expect you to look amazing in really tight right. clothes. And you're like, I don't feel amazing right now. And I don't want to be prancing around in a tiny, and I don't want to be on the cover of that magazine wearing a sports right. bra. And just the neuroses that we all have right. about what we look like and those demons start coming up. And um, it's been a really rough journey. And I was even reading a, a post from... Uh, this will date this, but Gypsy Goddess, who's sure, an Instagram star. Yeah. And she's teeny McTiny's. Is that the one yesterday? She and wrote? she gets yeah. skinny shamed right, right, right. all the yeah. time. And she wrote a really vulnerable post about not wanting to post certain pictures of herself because she gets skinny shamed so much. And she's like, I look too skinny here. And, and it's just, it's it's hard. And as some people have harder experiences than others. And yeah, people could look at her and be like, okay, you're white, you're blonde, you're skinny. Like, you know, screw you, you have a hard life. Well, some people are built that way and some people aren't built that way. But also way. she's having people hate on her every day, like, oh, eat a burger, oh my God. It's like, that's equally as shameful right. as saying someone like, oh, look at you, you're lethargic and overweight and right. you probably do nothing. I mean, we all have our stories. And I, it's, I think we should all listen to each other's stories, do our best to understand an experience that is completely not our own. And if we can take the time to actually hear each other out and not just live in our own experience, that's going to unify us right. as instead of this divisiveness and polarities that are starting to happen right now. Because if you think this is my experience, like this is the worst and only people who identify with me can understand, then there's this whole other bubble of people who are having experiences too, like, please listen. And I just, I, I think that's gonna be the answer. And this goes way beyond body image issues, right? This is just, especially in the political environment we're in right now, we don't listen anymore. No one listens to anyone. They know what they want, they know what they feel, they know what pisses them off and they shut down. So you leave LA yes. and you go to Florida. Yes. So you fall in love. Yes. Talk to me about that. <laughs> so you fall in love and then that doesn't work out. Just talk to, talk to me about that. <laughs> I fell in love, and the last place I would have seen myself was Central Florida. 
That's where everyone goes when they fall in love, right? That's where he lived. <laughs> and I, uh, he had a son, so he couldn't move to California. And all I needed was an airport and a computer. And I was ready to get out of LA. Yeah. So I went, all right, fine. And, and the deal was we're only going to spend, wait till he graduates high school. Uh, not who I was in love with, his son. Um, <laughs> That's whole no, other whoa, story. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are in Central Florida, Catherine. <laughs> God. <laughs> Sorry for people who live in Florida. No. Um, and uh, and then we were going to move to Charleston, where my parents were. And so you get we, married. You move to Charleston. We will actually move to Charleston. Then we got you married got in married. Charleston, and then we got divorced as well which I know probably seems a little crazy. And that's, that's the hard thing about having a public engagement and having a public marriage. And right. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, you know, just, you know, this is the same time your phenomenal book, Aim True, you know, is yeah, out and you're on book tour yeah. and, and we we're going to bring it back right to the book. And like started. you're, and I, I, I sort of, I don't know if I ever told you, I could sense something was off around that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, like you, the aim true, like this a phenomenal book and phenomenal Thank message, you. and you're like, and it, and it's like in the real world, and it's amazing, and you're out there promoting it, and then you're married. It's like, just talk. To, what is that like? Like on one hand, awful. Like it was fucking awful. <laughs> um, I we separated at the end of 2015. The book came What's out in March Christmas? 2016. It was the worst Christmas of my life. <laughs> it was. Awful. In fact, I was really nervous about Christmas this year because I was scared the con- like the, the the memories that were going to come up for me. Um, but it had to happen, you know. And it was it was such a come to Jesus moment for me, where no regrets. I fully believe that I was supposed to marry him, and I fully believe that he was supposed to find me. I was supposed to find him. We were supposed to be together for that that segment of time but i'm also so grateful that i woke up to the fact that this wasn't who i was supposed to spend my life with and it felt like a karmic connection you know not to lose anyone someone passing through but not staying forever yeah it it was and it um and divorces are dirty and and they hurt and he hurt me and i hurt him and and there was a lot. And in sure. the lovely state of South Carolina, you have to be legally separated for a full year before you can divorce. So it was basically like purgatory for a year and feeling like a penance of sorts. Right. Can you really close the chapter? No, it was impossible. And, and it was just, it was, it was not good. We were not good. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, releasing this book that means so much to me and I've been looking forward to it for so long. So I'm having the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and, constantly in public and traveling all the time and exhausted from that, exhausted emotionally. What is that like? I noticed on so, you know, your social media too, like you're a public figure and I see people commenting like, where is he? What's going on? Like what happened? It's like, they, it's like, what is that? Like it's hard enough going through something like that, but oh, then it's like- it took a lot of control to be like, right. mind your own business. Right. But I, I do understand people, yes, I shared parts of my relationship. Yes, I shared my marriage because I'm not dead on the inside. Of course, I'm going to share my marriage. Um, And yeah, it's really uncomfortable when people start having conversations about your personal life with each other on your page. And I'm just like, could you take that somewhere else? Maybe (laughs) that's really uncomfortable. So I I only shared 
pretty much one post about it. Yep, I remember that. I don't remember. It was sometime maybe late spring or maybe yeah. it was summertime. Just because I was like, okay, if I just hit people with I'm divorced, that's going to be... Because I, I, I want to take my students and my readers and I don't want them to think that I'm pushing them out. But at the same time, I want to be careful about how much I invite people in. Sure. Because my life is my life and I have boundaries. I have healthy boundaries. But I also understand that I have been blessed to have a platform. And so people expect certain levels of sharing from me. So I just did one post where I was like, hey, <laughs> I am separated from my husband. I have never even broken up with someone in the age of social media. So I have zero knowledge of how to do this well. Right. Um, please bear with me. I mean, it's awful. I mean, it's one thing to share your celebrations. Right. It's an entirely different thing to share all of the heartache that you have to go through. And, and I was just, I asked people to be respectful. I'm like, this is not a tell-all. This is not a Us Weekly magazine. I am not going to talk about this until I process it. And I'm still processing. I'm still processing it right now. And I have a feeling, I mean, I'm in therapy now and, and trying to work out all the little bits because I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And then I'm like, bah! you know, just get hit. Um, so I'm a work in progress. And, you know, people have been pretty respectful since. But I need it wasn't until I said something that and every now and I'll still get comments like, wow, that was a fast marriage, you know, like snippy, catty little comments. And that's that's their shit. You know, that's their experience with divorce, their experience with love. And I can't edit that, you know, and, and I'm not trying to filter anybody. But yeah. So so Aim True comes out, book does phenomenally well. Like you're, you're coming you're coming out of this and you meet someone else. I did. Who's amazing. Very amazing. Very amazing. And she happens to have a vagina. And that's the punchline. <laughs> I love that it's not the Today Show. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. It's all um, good. So did you ever expect to fall in love with a woman? I, I, I mean, I think as a little girl, my storybook picture was a prince. That's what I envisioned as I was little. But, you know, I've, I've always dated men. I've always found men and women attractive. Um, and when I met Kate, there was just, she was everything. I think my mom, my dear, dear mom, she put it in the best way. She's like, she's basically everything that you've wanted in a husband. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, except for I was using the term husband instead of husband, wife, partner. You know, and and she just happened to be a woman, and it was it was a nice. I don't like labels because now right. people are like, oh, so you're gay, right? So like what do you, you say? Like, how's this change your perspective on that? Uh, it, it's been a big wake up call to me. I've always been, you know, I have many many friends in the LGBTQ, sure. A B C D E R, right? Exactly. <laughs> community. It's expanding, and it's interesting to actually totally associate with being part of that community now. I, I feel like the subject matter is being talked about more now, but educating people, because I have had people been like, so you're a lesbian now. I'm like, you don't understand. But it, it, I think it's our society's need to put people in a safe box where they can label them. Well, people also only understand what they understand to some degree. Totally. And there are many people who've 
never had a gay friend. Right. You know, they don't know what it's like to have anything outside of the heteronormative standards. And you can't fault someone for that. And I've found that in any kind of social justice group, because you get so fired up, if someone doesn't understand, it's easy to be like, well, you're naive. It's like, that's not fair. You can't say that like this person who's just never had the experiences, they may be just as open, but they haven't had the experience. So they don't know the verbiage. Right. You know, they don't know how to talk about this in an appropriate way. So, like, so you need to be open. What's like your internal dialogue? You know, you know, you meet Kate and you're, you're starting to, you know, have feelings for her and you're like, she's amazing. Or you, in the back of your mind, you're like, so this is interesting. Or, <laughs> wow, I didn't know. Like, it, did you activate a different part like what is that like what what was that internal monologue or or was it just like this is a bit like I guess it didn't feel that unusual to me really I you know it it, yes I was conscious of the fact that I was married to a man and now I'm in love with a woman and maybe how are people going to interpret that there was a a brief hesitation about talking to my parents about it but my parents, as you know, are amazing. Right. And they immediately were like, okay. I, I, I was actually more nervous about talking to my dad and I'm totally blaming it on my mom because my mom's like, just find the right time to tell him. <laughs> he just paid for your wedding. <laughs> you know? um, he's the Caucasian Dalai Lama. The Caucasian Dalai, oh my gosh. <gasps> and um, and the, he said the sweetest thing when I told him, he was like, if you think I would be upset about this, then you don't even know who I am. Oh, that's cute. I was like, I love you, Dad. So it's and she's a big sports fan. Oh, they (laughs) don't shut up when they're together. I mean, and she's on ESPN, Dad. Yeah, he's a dream to her. He adores her, and not a single one of my friends have he's they've not even blinked an eye. And I I really haven't outside of people just not understanding. Well, I think that's the thing, and I was trying to get out. Like, what does it feel like? Because I think for people who who've never been through something like this, it's like. Part of them just doesn't, I don't get it. Or like, yeah. I don't like, what do you mean? You, you're you with the man, now you're with the woman, but you're not a lesbian and you're not. And I think like the way you articulate, like it's just, you're in love. Yeah. And that's agnostic. Exactly. It, it, I consider myself sexually fluid would be the term. Got it. That if you really wanted to put a stamp on me, that I, I would say I'm fluid. And, um, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's different and they have... You know, and some people, I I think if everyone, not everyone, but I think if most people could step away just from societally what they've been fed since they're tiny. I mean, you watch your Disney fairy tales. There's the prince and the princess. We're taught from a young age. This is what's normal. Well, what's interesting, too, is I think, you know, you get back to like labels, like labels are easy, like culturally, it's just like in the history of America. And I think it like, I look at it like the wellness world, like labels drive me nuts in a lot of ways. It's like, are you paleo or you're vegan? And like, what do you do? You work out. It's like, like, this is where I'm at at this point in my life. And next year I'll be eating totally differently. I don't know. Exactly. And, and once again, like there's no one size fits all approach, not to nutrition, not to working out and not to love. So I just think it's interesting. Like, I think where people are warming up to the idea yeah. of, of nutrition somewhat, even yes. though some people it still is a religion and, and, and working out. And even though that still is a religion to some people, but warming up to this idea. And it idea. always will be, right? But it's this idea, but, like, I think the same goes for love. And it's this idea, like, there is no one size fits all. Yeah. Specifically, like, different times of your life. Um, so I just think it's, like, really important to talk about. It's so important. And I do believe that when the 20-somethings 
when that generation moves into being parents, their children, this is going to be normal. This is going to be so, so normal. That's my my dream, my wish. What's so interesting, too, Colleen and I watch the show Billions. Do you watch that mm-hmm. show on Showtime? Really good. It's a you know great great. It's a good show. Am I going to be addicted Damian, to it? it? It's pretty good. Season okay. two, Paul Giamatti, Damian, uh, oh. Damian Lewis, really okay. good acting. And so this year, and it's around like a hedge fund billionaire. That's Damian Lewis's character. You know, Greenwich, Connecticut. The whole deal. What that? Imagine what that looks like. And right. then this season, they introduced a character who is transgender who works at a hedge fund in Greenwich. Nice. And it's me, and I think there's people have been talking about this online, like it's a big deal, like to insert, have a character like that in a show where everyone else looks, imagine what that looks like and that's what they look like on screen. It's so good though. Yeah. Because it's just for the people who are somehow living somewhere where that's not normal for them to understand. I mean, living in New York City, I've, I've never felt anything here. You know, people don't bat an eye at us. Walking down the street holding hands in Charleston in the middle of the daylight, sometimes people were like, oh. And I didn't feel judgment. I felt shock. Right. right. Like, oh. That's... Like two pretty girls holding hands in a romantic way. Right. You know, so it's just giving people permission to understand that there's something outside of this little teeny tiny box that we've been told this is the way the world right. works. I love that. And so I want to go back to Aim True. Yeah. So it's the title of your book. So, you know, those are the words you live by. Like, explain to people, like, what does that mean? Right. So, like I said, when I was at that ultimate low, my vertigo and my anxiety and everything that I was going through, that's when I found this prayer that was written to Artemis. And I'm a big mythology buff Mm -hmm. ever since I was little. Still am. I've actually been broken up with before because people thought it was corny. Um... (laughs) And I, I just always really loved Artemis and because she's the tomboy of the goddesses, kind of a rebel. Right. She was the one who was like, look, I don't want to get married. I don't want to be in society. I want to go live in the woods with my tribe, with my sisters. And her dad, Zeus, was like, cool, do it. So she was the ultimate, she knew herself. And like we were just talking about, it's often quite difficult in a society that tells you to turn left to turn right. When you know I have to turn right, this is who I am. So I admired her for that, that like tenacity. And, and this prayer that I started doing every single night, I started really feeling results. It's the power of prayer, right? The power of intention, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't have to have religious connotations. And it was so healing for me that um, in the beginning of the prayer was Artemis, goddess of the hunt, make my aim true that this concept of aiming true was planted in me. And so beyond the prayer, and this is just personal practice at this point, I was like, okay, well, what is aiming true? Like, how can I, as Catherine, aim true in my actions and my thoughts in my life? So I started being very thoughtful of how I was aiming true with everything that I was doing. And that started going so well that I was actually on my way to Kripalu. And I was taking the train from New York, and I wasn't sure what I was going to teach that night. And I scribbled out. I was like, maybe, maybe I'll talk about aim true, you know, because this is something that's so big to me personally. And that was the first time I shared. I don't know. I probably talked about it for 10, 15 minutes, tiny little talk, and then went into asana. But that was the first time I shared it, and people seen it kind of piqued their interest. And it started evolving into a talk and then a full day intensive. And then it turned into 
my first DVD, my only DVD, <laughs> um, and then of course well, they don't fit in the computers anymore. Yeah, I was just thinking about DVDs. Where do you, where do you, They're a little archaic at this it's point. Like you... <laughs> yeah, frisbees for the dog, <laughs> and did a course for you guys, yep. and and then eventually my book, and it just became a really cool way to not only access asana and how you do it, but how are you aiming true in every single aspect of your life? And I told my stories and I found that my stories were universal and that I had my own cast of characters, but everyone was like, oh, I can relate to that in some shape or form. And I know I'm not, I'm not, Re, you know, recreating the wheel or reinventing the wheel rather. I'm just saying things that I'm hoping are going to inspire people in my language and my experience mm-hmm. that probably you already know, but that maybe you've fallen asleep. Sure. And I'm trying to wake people back up. Sure. And if you're in the wellness world, you've heard it all. Exactly. You've heard it all. Right. But I, I don't, you know, to, to that point, I don't think there are many, if any, like groundbreaking new developments. It's, oh. it's all these things we all know intuitively or read at one time and then forgot. And there's and, a teacher for refreshers. everyone, right? Exactly. We all have different voices that, you know, one teacher that's wildly popular that I don't resonate with at all and I'm turned off by them, but they'll have, you know, a plethora of followers. So every teacher will attract a different group. So if you could go back in time and talk to that 20 something yoga teacher in the west side of LA who's, you know, struggling or with whatever it is you're struggling at the time, like what advice would you give yourself? One of those dark moments of the west okay, side I'm, of LA. Okay, this is just the first thing that came to mind. And I would probably want to sit there with a really beautifully made almond milk latte and just smile at myself and say nothing. Because I... I wouldn't take away any of my train wreck moments. You know, I, it's a, just an interesting question when people ask you, what would you change? I'm like, nothing. I really, What I would just... you tell yourself? Like in one of those tough moments. Well, first of all, I love that you came back with a latte because you used to be a tea drinker. You would not do coffee. So I love but that you that, came But that's back. why, and not only would it be a latte, it would be like a beautifully made barista, okay. like with the heart and everything. Or actually perfectly with, steamed with, the, milk. with the aim true arrow. Perfectly pulled shot, right? Um, I would just probably pat myself on the head and be like, keep trucking, buttercup. You know, <laughs> I just, it, it's, I, I, funny enough, I pulled out my journal that I kept in 2008, 2009. And it's, it was the first day that I met a boyfriend that I dated for four months that I was convinced I was going to marry. Hmm. And I was reading all of these entries about how I had found the one and what it meant and where I was in my life. And you know, when you go back and read journal entries, I don't know if you journal, but how it's ultimately just embarrassing where you're like, wow. I'm trying to think is, is this, if I met this person or not. Mm-hmm. He was an actor. Yeah, I did meet this person. I know exactly <laughs> who it is. Yeah. Um, and God, if I ever ran into him again today, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I was so embarrassing. Um, and, you know, I, maybe I would sit down next to that girl and be like, you are so much more than how someone loves you. Mm-hmm. And I was really defining myself by how someone else loved me. Well, I think that's like a lot of people's 20s. Completely. Like that was the same thing for me. But I didn't have I confidence in myself right. yet. I didn't think that I was... My, 
I, I don't think I would have said this at the time, but in retrospect, I don't think I actually believed I could survive on my own. Right. You know, I was still buying that whole Disney, like you need to find a prince who's going to love you and take care of you. So was there ever a moment getting back to like these years in LA where you thought like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm done teaching. Like I'm done with yoga. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I, I, but I've also been teaching for uh, 13, 14 something years. And I have this 10 year theory where every 10 years you have to reinvent yourself. Oh, like Madonna. Exactly. Or you too. Or every great rock and roll, or, like every, right. every great no, Madonna musician. Would be, Madonna like, would be the I think every great example. musician does that. Yeah. You, you've got, what's this decade going to be about? And that's where I am right now. I'm totally in full-blown reinvention mode where it, it's not... I love that that involves Brooklyn. I love that it involves Brooklyn too. I'm so thrilled. And people were asking me, do you miss Charleston? I'm like, I yes, there's so much I miss about it, but not really because they're so different that it makes it easier to move on. So but what is next for you? I, well, like I was saying, you know, it's not like I'm going to trash everything that I've ever done in my life and just let that go. Yoga is forever going to be part of who I am, and I'm taking all my experiences and lessons with me. But I, I don't want to be just traveling the world teaching yoga. I've been doing that since, traveling since 2008, and I'm exhausted, and, and I love my students, and I will always, they fire me up, but it's not serving me. I'm not hungry. I'm comfortable. It's safe. And anytime I get this safe, I know something's wrong. So uh, I'm, I'm launching my own podcast, which does not have the swanky set, by the way. So I got to tell them we need to step it up a little bit. Take some photos. Um, <laughs> but Kate and I are launching a sports, wellness, and pop culture podcast for ESPNW. Phenomenal. Called free Cookies. Great name. Because who doesn't want free cookies? And um, that's going to launch in April. And then um, in the creative phase of a show amazing that I'm working on that will have a comedic aspect to it so I might be going back to my theatrical roots I love that a little bit and then um, I'm meeting with my literary agent next week and we are discussing book number three I'm gonna write my table of contents next week Ooh, can you share what any idea what that's gonna be about it's going to be memoir-esque Ooh. or narrative nonfiction-esque and so it's not going to be like a tell-all. It's not going to be that. So don't get excited. The last, the, 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 there's, there's something there at some point. Yeah. I mean, there will be obviously a lot of storytelling. I, I feel like there's a great fiction book about the west side of L.A. There, well, you. fiction 100% will be part of my future. That is something <laughs> that I've been wanting to do forever. But I'm kind of like, maybe you don't want to experiment with that right now. Like find your next, your next transformation and then work on the fiction. But um, so, yeah, book number three, show podcast. I'm still traveling this year teaching, but I, I've shaved my schedule down to about a quarter of what I did last Good. year. Good so it's, I, I will still be available. I'm still doing yoga glow. There's yep. still, you can still find me yep. and take yoga with me. Yep. But, um, but just don't show up at my doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> you have a doormat now. The mat, right. <laughs> don't let anyone with a yoga mat near me, okay? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's still, but it's just this transition time and, and I'm ready to challenge myself again. I'm I just gave a, a talk on Monday in the meatpacking district over at the Samsung space on the art of reinvention. And I was so nervous. And I'm like, this is where I need to be. I need to get back into a place where I'm uncomfortable and I've pushed myself outside of my comfort zone and I haven't done that in a long time. So, <sighs> yeah, well, expected. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yay.